Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hello and welcome to another episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged, the podcast series brought to you by Open Banking Expo. You can find all our recent episodes, of course, on the on-demand section of openbankingexpo.com. But today I'm delighted to be joined by Adadeji Olewi, trustee of Open Banking Nigeria, which is a non-profit coalition of industry stakeholders advocating for the adoption of open banking in Nigeria. I'm delighted to be joined by Adadeji today, who's going to tell us more about um, the objective of Open Banking Nigeria, where the country is on its implementation journey, and uh, some of the markets and, and countries that have proved inspiring to Nigeria when it comes to um, implementing open banking. Thanks so much for joining me, Adadeji. Uh, thanks so much, Ellie. It's good to um, speak with you. Well, let's start with a really straightforward question, but I think it's important for our listeners who are located all over the world to find out a bit more about Open Banking Nigeria. What is it you do? Perhaps you can tell us when it was established and and what your objective is there. So uh, 2016, we found out what uh, the UK is doing about open banking. Of course, obviously, the UK wanted to use open banking to to bring sanity into the banking space. So there was this perceived or there was this argument that the CM9, the top, the nine biggest banks were kind of uh, abusing the market and preventing innovation. So they brought in with the advent of PSD2, then you have the CMA come around and put up open banking. That was a tool and it was supposed to level the field for everyone. And then along the line, we found out about this in Nigeria. We felt, okay, this tool could solve a different problem in Nigeria. Because in Nigeria, yes, we have the top, the five biggest banks literally control 80% of the market. And then you have the 10 biggest bank control like almost 90% of the market. But I don't think they have the kind of dominance that the CM9 had, or maybe the government is not seeing them as being abusive for that position. But one thing was certain, right? There was a lot of significant friction for fintech. So if you were at fintech and you wanted to build an university service, that could maybe send money, that could aggregate bank accounts. You know, you want to do personal financial management. It was always going to be held because why the same function in bank A is similar to what you have in bank Z, you, it, the implementation and the processes takes a different approach and it was quite difficult. So even global giants like MasterCard, like uh, Visa, they had challenges in bringing some of their innovations to the market because of the body. So we told ourselves, if we could standardize the APIs across all the banks and you all speak the same language, maybe this challenge would be entirely removed. And then we started, that was 2017. So uh, I started with a number of industry friends, uh, precisely June 1st, uh, 2017 at 11.58 p.m. Because it was way so much of an hour. And then we started and everybody felt it was going to be impossible to do. Uh, five years down the line, we've kind of proven everybody wrong. Uh, but in a very delightful way, because open banking is now established in Nigeria. We haven't gone live yet, but all the pillars needed to make open banking work are already in place. We have the data privacy rule, which was released by NITDA, by the government in 2019. We have the open banking regulation, uh, which was released by the Central Bank of Nigeria in February 2021. And then May this year, an exposure draft of 
open banking guideline was also released as well. And and the interesting thing is that the more we went down the line, the more the government started working more with the industry stakeholders. So what is coming out is actually a whole, it's more accepted by the industry, unlike in other jurisdictions where it felt it was shoved down their throats. That's really interesting to hear. And, and actually, it sounds like you had quite a similar market to like the banking sector here in, in the UK, from what you're saying. So has it taken a little while, though, to get the banks on side in Nigeria, would, would you say? So actually, it's a little bit different. So in the UK, the CMA literally dragged the banks like 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 Aaron Kids, right? And say, not only are you going to do this open banking, you are going to fund it. Uh, and collectively, as of May 2019, the banks, the CMA, the government, everybody collectively spent about a billion pounds. In Nigeria, it's the other way around. Because if you recall, the central bank is not trying to punish banks. So in reality, the industry stakeholders that work with the central bank to bring open banking included the banks. We knew right from the beginning when we started that we can't alienate the banks because if we did that, we weren't going to get the kind of traction we wanted because, no, you know what, trying to convince the government to do open banking is hard enough. Having somebody trying to go against that journey is even going to make it almost impossible. So the banks have always been on board right from the beginning. That's great to hear. And and so you've you've got to this stage. You you said open banking isn't live just yet. Do you do you have a date when it when it will be? Uh unfortunately, no, I don't. Uh but we have guidance. Uh Open Banking Nigeria released a guidance that says this could be like uh maybe the next six to nine months at the most. So here is what will probably come. So first we have the draft exposure now, exposure draft right now. And what will happen is that the central bank is taking feedback from the industry. Okay, how do we make this guideline better before we turn it into an enforceable regulation? Now, that was released in May and probably should end by the end of this month. Normally, based on antecedents, the central bank takes about maybe from two months to sometimes six months to collate industry feedback for an exposure that. Then after that is done, the draft will be updated and released to the industry and say, okay, this is now your final guideline. Then you are going to have an implementation timeline that will be released maybe a couple of months after. And that will probably give then the banks about six months to nine months to implement. So it is coming. And look, it'd be really interesting to hear a bit more about how exactly you advocate for Open Banking Nigeria. So can you tell us about any of the initiatives that that you've been working on and and some of the projects there? Okay, Uh, it's very easy to convince the banks and let them know why Open Banking makes sense for them. So take a typical bank today uh, and you're a fintech, you want to integrate with the banks. There's a whole bunch of technology work that has to be done. So usually business case has been made. The business case is never the problem because the numbers always make sense. And then you want to do an interface, build integration, and get the infinite to connect with you. All these things take time. Uh, there are a whole bunch of t- uh, things to, com- to, to take a look at. You have to look at compliance. Are you doing this thing in line with the law? You have to look at risk. You have to look at security. And by the time you're done, your technology team has spent probably six to nine months trying to just get one person in. Now, when a typical large bank is probably speaking to tens, twenties of fintechs, that becomes a mess. If you did open banking, you only need to do that job once and it becomes standardized. So it means that suddenly a typical bank will have peace of mind. I've done the work, you just came in, right? So that's what the value proposition we give to them. 
when we're speaking to the central bank, we told them, look, you know what? The world has gone digital. You've got this bunch of banks running all over the street, right? Some of them are very maybe risk averse. Some of them could be a little bit quite careless. If you don't standardize security, you have no idea, you have no idea what could happen. A lot of the banks, the top five banks are systemic. Any mistake they make on their own side, maybe in integrating a fintech or fintechs, could have significant impact in the trust that the average person, average Nigerian has in the banking industry. So it makes sense for you to actually standardize these digital integrations and ecosystem right now in a manner that you are so sure that this is not going to be abused. And then we spoke to the fintech. Oh, the fintech didn't need to be convinced. They were just, they were too happy to just have open banking show up. And then we talked to, uh, when we talked to the end users who sometimes are the decision makers in other stakeholders or even senior people, we tell them, look, you know what? When we have open banking, you're going to have a better ways to manage your finances. For example, with personal financial management, you don't need to have an app across every bank. You could have just one app and see all your balances from there. You could, if you are a company, you could do treasury management by aggregating your transactions and balances across banks and then use smart logics to move things around. You know, if you're trying to take a loan, because in Nigeria we don't, consumer credit is not very pervasive. So most lenders use process for credit scoring. So they look at your bank account, they look at your cash flow, and they can deduce whether you are good for the money or not. By making open banking available, we could unleash that whole flood of consumer credit, which makes sense to banks and makes sense to everybody. So once we line up all those value propositions, everybody was just kind of, okay, you know what, let's do this. Just that, you know what, sometimes things can be a little bit slow. But in terms of pushback, there has been none. Apart from those who felt it was too good to be done. Like, you know what, this thing is so good, nobody's going to do it. This, the CBN is not going to agree. But it's as, of all the stakeholders we have, the most engaging has been the central bank. I give kudos to them. When you speak with them, they literally want to suck everything you have in your head. They are so excited. They are so supportive about it. But a central bank is a government body. It doesn't run at the same speed as the everyday you and me. And I'm interested to hear what, you know, the, the relationships that consumers already had with their banks in Nigeria. Was there a was there a high level of trust anyway when it came to consumers and, and their relationship with, with your banking kind of giants there, I suppose? Uh, so I would say that, uh, look, the the consumers in Nigeria, the average, average Nigerian has about three bank accounts. Uh, all they do is the pastime is to complain about their banks, but they don't move. And I think this is probably the same thing you have in the UK. Uh, when I come to UK, my friends will complain about bank with this bank and that bank. And I say, why don't you move and go somewhere else? They say, you know, it's too much as I'm just, you know, a known devil is better than an unknown angel. And I say, okay, that's the way it is. So the, I think it's the same globally. Uh, and the average Nigerian bank is, is good in its own ways and also can be quite frustrating in their own ways. But they've been there. They, I would say, I would say they're doing a good job. Yeah, that's interesting. I think you're right. There is a level of inertia, isn't there, among consumers? You know, they kind of want want the best deals, or or they want to know that their money is safe. And perhaps, you know, they maybe they are unhappy with 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 their bank, but they kind of don't move because they almost prefer to kind of they prefer the familiar. They don't want to change. So absolutely, yeah, you're right. I think it is quite a global phenomenon in that sense. 
as a DG, obviously you're you're the trustee of Open Banking Nigeria. So, what are your priorities in that role? Uh, uh, the priorities actually is to just make sure this thing goes live, that we start using it. Every other thing is secondary, and unlike other kind of non-profit, open banking is a profit that is limited by time. Uh, once it goes live, we're going to shut down and just move on because we had just one focus: get the central bank and the banks to start using open banking. Once they start doing that, we've done our job. So uh, that is why uh, we are laser focused. Um, but why that is our primary objective, we have a number of objectives that feed into that to make it happen. Currently at this time, uh, the exposure draft is out. Uh, there are a number of gaps between what the central bank has released and what is actually needed by the government and by the industry. Uh, we are providing that. So we're working with Postman. Uh, they've been a partner. is a global API provider giving us the environment to be able to um, build what that thing that the government didn't put in place. Uh, we're working with them to define what the registry and directory services will look like. Um, uh, we continue to do advocacy. Um, by August, we're going to be speaking to all the banks to let them know and have a better understanding of what the guideline that's come from the bank looks like and so they can have a better understanding because Trust me, it's kind of arcane. It's 61 pages, extremely dense. I only know what is there because we wrote, like the com industry committee wrote most of it with the central bank. So we know what was inside. But beyond that, the average person, trust me, nobody's going to read 61 pages unless you are a consultant that's trying to implement. So we try to also make that thing to get to them in a everyday language, the everyday language that a business executive and a director, a manager can understand because without doing that, um, misunderstanding or ignorance can create a gap for misinformation or doubt to kind of uh, proliferate. So what about the the kind of partnerships there between banks and fintechs? That's obviously a really kind of important part of, of that open banking implementation journey, isn't it? So can you Tell me a bit more about how banks and fintechs are, are working together to kind of further uh, open banking and, and ultimately open finance in Nigeria. Oh, yes. So the banks are not working with fintechs to further open banking. No, they are not. The banks work with fintechs to bring different services to the market. We are just working. We just want to make sure that open banking is able to remove the friction and the time it takes to bring those ideas to the market. The fintechs themselves are literally practically waiting and begging to make sure that open banking goes live. Because once that is done, their burden re can reduce by as much as 95%, like even much more. Because what takes them years, probably long months, could now take days, probably one day. Because you write your code once for one bank and that code is able to work with every other bank. In actual fact, you write your code before you even talk to any bank if you're working against the open bank in Nigeria sandbox, and that code will work well when you get to uh, the bank you want to partner with. Look, I know you you mentioned, obviously, at the at the start of this uh, podcast that, you know, you'd, you'd seen what was happening in, in the UK with open banking a few years ago now. So you'd obviously kind of looked at what the UK was doing, but obviously you went down, uh, you know, a slightly different approach to implementing open banking in Nigeria. But I'm interested to hear, are there any other markets or countries that you took some kind of learnings from? But also equally, are there any regions that you think can learn from what you've done in Nigeria? 
Okay. Um, so at the time we started, uh, the UK was the, the most, even till now, the UK has remained the global standard for open banking, even in Europe, because the UK has a well-defined process. And then you have uh, the Australian one. Now, a few things we learned, right, um, because of our peculiarities or because of how it became difficult. So first and foremost, like in the UK, we, we're taking another look on how you're going to implement SEA, strong uh, customer authentication, to make sure that it's not kind of uh, difficult. Because SEA, for example, as one of the major reasons why uh, global giants like Amazon and the rest of them haven't embedded open banking into payments because you obviously have to authorize payments um, every time and then it expires every 90 days. So we've learned from that. So our consent and scope management is a little bit different uh, because we're factoring that in. Uh, the UK doesn't have anything has to do with like virtual account, like direct debit. Now, we have an established virtual account in Nigeria, but there's no regulation around it. So what we've done is to weave that into what open banking we're doing. Uh, we also, we, the UK has established direct debit, which everybody uses to, uh, pay their bills, but we don't have that in Nigeria. We're weaving that into what we're doing as well, which is one of the reasons why we say SCA will have killed that if we have implemented that. Uh, then we have unique problems. Uh, in Nigeria today, 35% of transactions coming from, uh, feature phones, which are basically phones that are not smart. People use what they call USSD. You may not know what USSD means because there's absolutely no reason to use that in the UK or anywhere else or the US. But in Nigeria, you dial a short code and then you're able to do transactions. Now, here's a challenge with that. If you're going to use things like FAPI to authenticate, what happens if you're using dumb phones? You are not able to do that because it's supposed to be out of band and it doesn't happen. So we're working with the OpenID Foundation. Um, um, my friend there, Gail, uh, they, they've been quite amazing. And then we're trying to figure out how this thing can work, where it can be part of maybe OpenID uh, standard. Uh, then we look at what they're doing in Australia, which is kind of amazing because Australia is just not playing at all. They're taking this thing straight for into open finance. It's affecting banking. They're taking it to uh, the bills payment of airtime, of gas, I think, electricity. We are not there yet because... If you look at what open banking is doing happening in, in Australia, they, it's being done at a parliamentary level. So it's actually a law. So it means that it kind of flows down. But in Nigeria, the central bank is dealing with this by itself. So it means that they are not able to apply the standard to other adjacent, uh, what do you call it, regulatory, uh, just, uh, what do you call it, regulatory uh, market. So uh, we look at uh, what is being done in the US and we just say, no, we're not going to do it this way. Uh, we could be on this for the next uh, decade. Good one. Uh, Canada finally uh, seen the light. Um, uh, one of the people I know has been appointed to lead open banking. They, they probably have maybe about two to three years ahead of them because uh, there are challenges they have to overlook. Uh, we look at what they do as uh, in India with UPI. Of course, it's not open banking, but it's similar or they're like cousins. So we're taking some learnings from there as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting to to hear. I suppose um, how inspiring like the open banking and open finance has been in in Australia for, for you. They're obviously, as you say, taking quite a different approach, aren't they, with their consumer data right um, over there. So, yeah, it's it's definitely, I think, a country to, to watch in that sense. And then finally, uh, what are your plans uh, for the next sort of 12 months um, or so at, at Open Banking Nigeria? We think the next 12 months is going to be quite busy. 
Uh, maybe there will be some kind of lull for the next couple of months. And then knowing CBN for what they are, they're just going to come out of the day one day and give everybody impossible deadlines and then we all start scrambling all over the place. So we're kind of getting prepared for that. And then because this is a new journey for everybody, for those of us in Open Banking Nigeria, we've engaged just the same way we engage with you, with every jurisdiction that is doing Open Banking. So we have an idea of what works for what doesn't work. So we are preparing ourselves to be... Uh, the industry uh, go-to team to help people to build whatever they want to build. And we are kind of scrappy as well because we know we couldn't use the UK approach, especially for most banks. Why? Because economic downtown, FX issues, some of these things can be quite expensive. So we are going to show people how to do things properly without breaking the bank. So we're probably just going to support the industry. And uh, we have a couple of banks that have been very supportive. We're also going to uh, drive working with the banks to do uh, consumer education. We don't want to make the mistake that happened in the UK where the tech guys were literally talking over the head of the everyday person. So you see, there was so much excitement about open banking, but you went on the street of London and you had the average Joe, what is open banking? And it's kind of looking at you blank. We want to make sure that doesn't happen. We want to make sure that like things like this information, your account can be taken, all those information, we want to make sure we attack them head on and guide people to do the right thing. And that is what is going to consume us for the next 12 months. But like I mentioned, once open banking is live and it's working properly, uh, we will have to hand over our boots and say, we've done a good job, guys. Let's go solve the next problem. Absolutely. It's really interesting to hear that um, consumer education is is one of your priorities there. Like like you say, you know, in the UK, um, if you use the phrase open banking, most people don't know what that means. So it will be interesting to see how you, you educate, I guess, consumers in, in Nigeria about it. Are there, are there any particular ways that you think are going to help people understand this, this kind of concept and, and actually how it affects their day-to-day lives? To be very frank, I'm going to defer to communication experts. You know, speaking to people in persuasive and very ethical way, it's an expertise. You know, the fact that you build something doesn't know doesn't mean you know how to explain it properly. Uh, but at the high level, the first thing is for people to have trust. You know what? Open bank is not going to steal your money. Open bank, fintech cannot have access to your account without you giving them access. If you get them access to read, say, your balance, you are, the access does not extend to moving money out of your account. As trivial as this may be, this is the most important thing uh, we need to let people know. After we dealt with the issue of trust, the next thing we're going to do is to show people the opportunity that this thing brings. And these opportunities, we'll be talking to people and also talking to e-commerce company, lenders and the rest of them, showing them how to embed and use open banking to make their services work properly. Uh, today, if you're doing e-commerce, uh, you probably only rely mostly on cards, which a lot of guys think is quite expensive. Even in the UK, you are saying government dragged Visa and MasterCard to call because of cost. Well, Nigeria is significantly cheaper than the UK, but I can tell you merchants are also as stranded as they are in the UK. So making open banking available for transactions means the cost can become cheaper. Now, if you are a lender as well, you want to have good information about people that you want to give money to, and then we let them know that this is significantly better for them. Access to data exists today, but it's quite expensive. By reducing the cost and improving the usability and the experience, then we can we we, we believe that we'll be able to get uh, con- everyday Nigerians to believe 
in open banking and use it. And the example we're going to give them is, look, you know what? Before, you need different apps to have access to your emails. But now you could just have your iPhone, your Android, and one single app to connect multiple emails to it. Nobody cares whether you're using Yahoo or Gmail. You just have one single phone, and that's fine. I think that is going to be like a likely metaphor. But then I'm going to defer to um, communication experts. It's not one of the things I know how to do. So they know how to tell people to do what they need to do. Yeah, well, I think you kind of summed it up in one word when when you said about trust. That's obviously a really, really important aspect of it. And um, like Adadeji, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been really fascinating to hear about what Open Banking Nigeria is is doing. And um, we'll definitely kind of keep track of, of the next stage of your Open Banking journey here at Open Banking Expo. So thanks very much. Thanks so much, Ellie. Uh, your team at Expo doing quite a good job. I look forward to speaking with you again. My thanks again to Adadeji from Open Banking Nigeria. Absolutely fascinating to hear about where the country is on its open banking journey, of course. And we'll certainly uh, keep you posted and, and well informed about the next stages uh, of, of their journey there. As always, you can listen back to recent episodes via the on-demand section of openbankingexpo.com. That's all we've got time for today. Goodbye for now.